everybody. What is going on? You know what time it is. You're listening to Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Daughter. Thanks for joining. Did you know there's a guy named Jason in the Bible? I've read Acts 17 before, but for some reason, when I think of the name Jason, I don't think about a Bible character. I think about Jason's Deli or kids I grew up with. So who is this Jason and why should we take notice of him? When I was growing up in the students' ministry at my church, we had a weekend retreat that was called D-Now, very similar to what we do at Watermark, D-Town, for our students. And at this retreat, we all stayed in host homes with families who would open up their houses, their homes, to house for the weekend a small group of students. Again, very similar to what we do here at Watermark. But what's interesting as I'm looking at Acts chapter 17 is that Jason— He's a great example of a host home. He used his home to host Paul and Silas. But Jason, he had a very different experience hosting than my parents did back when I was growing up at these retreats. Because he hosted Paul and Silas, he was attacked by a mob at his home, dragged to the city authorities, and had to pay them money simply because he had been a benevolent host to two faithful men of God. What? A legend. I read that story and all I could think is, why does no one ever talk about Jason? I mean, sure, Acts 17, it's filled with some iconic moments like the Bereans searching the scriptures and Paul at the Areopagus. But this, a well-meaning host, he didn't actually say anything, he just hosted, was dragged out of his home for associating with Christians. That's crazy. But what might be even crazier is what the mob said about Paul and Silas. Starting in verse 6, the mob was shouting, crying out, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things, And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And all I can wonder is, why have I never spent time meditating on the story or heard it preached? I think it could be because when we think about hosts or the gift of hospitality, sometimes we think of it as a less than gift or a female gift or skill or trait. But here, Jason as a host, as someone who exercised hospitality, is persecuted for his faith in light of said hospitality, which is just crazy because I don't know if we honestly think that hospitality is important in the kingdom of God. Now, the thrust or emphasis of verses 1 through 9 isn't at all about how Jason hosted or what kind of host he was. The big idea of this section is that Paul regularly taught in the synagogues about Jesus— And as he did, devout Greeks and women turned to Christ and joined him, whereas the Jews became frustrated by this countercultural movement and sought to take Paul down. That's what happened. These angry Jews were coming after Paul, but they couldn't find him. Instead, they found Jason, Paul's host. Verse 5, But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities. Jason was guilty by association. The mob knew he was friends with Paul and Silas. 
But here's what's interesting. Jesus said back in John 13, A new commandment I give to you is this. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That's John 13, 34 through 35. Being a good host is one way we can represent Christ to the watching world. Jason hosted Paul and Silas, and others therefore knew he was part of the faith family. Now, we don't know how he hosted or what his life looked like, but we know enough to know that the angry mob knew he was tight with the Christians. Here's another example of what this hospitality can look like. On Friday, we read Acts 16, and I skipped over the part about Lydia. Here's what we read, Acts 16, verse 3. And on the Sabbath day, we, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Verse 15, And after she was baptized, in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. She insisted. Lydia, after receiving salvation and thus the Holy Spirit, was compelled to be hospitable and serve Paul, Timothy, and Silas. Now, Lydia, to my knowledge, didn't have a mob show up at her house afterward. But you know what Lydia and Jason both had in common? They weren't going to get anything in return after serving these guys. I mean, they lived on the road. They weren't going to return the favor one day. Jesus said in Luke 14, verse 12, he said to this man who had invited him to a gathering, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus presents this picture of hospitality that says, we choose hospitality so that we can bless others, not so that we can climb a social ladder, network, show others how cool our new home remodel is, or trade off every other year with our extended family. But hear me. It's not bad to have friends over for dinner. It's not bad to network or redo your kitchen or spend the holidays with family. But I do think these passages challenge us to ask if we consider hospitality as a means by which we can evangelize. It sets the scene for us to represent Christ with our words. In regard to hospitality, one article from Desiring God said this, As the church seeks to evangelize the world, the homes of church members become gospel outposts, places where we bring the gospel to the neighborhood. It exposes idols and tears down strongholds and reveals how the love of Christ transcends sociology. Shocking as this may be as we invite others into our homes. Jason and Lydia's demonstration of hospitality challenges me. Lydia was insistent on being hospitable and Jason was persecuted because his hospitality said he was associated with Jesus. Does my hospitality show others that I follow Jesus? Do I ever create a space in which I get to host lost people? I'm challenged because I honestly don't know that I do. And I'm not sure what it would look like for me to be a better host moving forward. I've got to seek the Lord in this. What does 
good hospitality look like for you? I'm sure it looks different for all of us, and so I'd encourage you to have an honest conversation with your community group. Maybe good hospitality could look like getting together and hosting an ice cream social outside in your neighborhood, a block party. I don't know how God would have you respond to this passage, but I'm certain he has something for all of us. That's all we've got time for. But as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey together. Hey, we want to thank you for listening and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe, because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.